Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show, Science, Facts, and Fallacies, episode 239. My name is Cameron English, your host as always. Joined again by Dr. Liza Dunn. Liza, what's going on? How are you? Not much. I've been running around like a man woman all week. <laughs> Busy. Yeah. It's Hard fun. It's Friday, though. It's good that it's Friday. Yeah. That's the upside is you run around, you have no time for anything, and all of a sudden the week's over, you go, oh, okay. I'm going to have a drink now. Wow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, very good. It's great to see you again. Thank you for joining us as always, everybody. We've got three stories. Uh, let's jump right into them. So first up, from lambs to humans, artificial wombs are on the horizon. Next, ketamine for mental health is being abused. We need more regulatory oversight. And finally, the greatest hits, everyone's favorite topic, Liza, why a glyphosate ban would lead to the use of ineffective and more toxic alternatives. All right, so let's start with this first story. This is originally written by Max Kozlov in the science journal Nature, and he's talking about uh, some research that was done originally in 2017 at the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. Um, and it, it was incredible when I first read about this, but they raised eight premature lambs in what they call biobags, which is, which is just incredible. And the idea is, is if you, you can do it in a non-human animal, you could do this with premature babies at some point as the technology improves. It's, it's crazy. So here's how it works. So it's a system um, that works by placing premature babies in this biobag device. It's filled with an electrolyte-laden fluid designed to mimic amniotic fluid. And then surgeons connect blood vessels in the umbilical cord to a system that oxygenates blood outside the body. And then the fetal heart would still pump blood as it does in the natural womb. So in theory, at least, this works uh, in animals, right? So this is always the big jump. You know, sometimes we talk about rodent studies and, you know, does it actually work with people? So now they're, they're seeking FDA approval to do clinical trials. And I think there's, maybe you can comment on this, but there's, I think there's still some questions of like how you would design this and what's an ethical way to do it, because there's just so many edges to this. But in any case, the technology, they actually founded a company and they're trying to bring it to commercialization. It's called extra uterine environment for newborn development or extend. Again, I feel like science needs a marketing department. <laughs> Got to come up with a better name for this stuff. Um, but in any case, there's, this presents some interesting um, arguments, questions that, that are going to have to be raised over the next few years. Uh, the, the team is stressing from the outset. They're saying, look, this is not for gestating a baby from fertilization until delivery. This is not what this is for. This is meant to save premature babies. So it sounds like they're trying to head off some of the controversy that inevitably is going to erupt anyway. Um, but nevertheless, I think it's something like 30,000 children are born prematurely each year. That It may have changed since I last looked at that statistic, but it's a lot of, a lot of kids. And of course, right before you're done growing, it's not good to be out of the womb. And again, you can speak more to that, but it sounds like the technology itself applied as it's meant to be applied is really, really promising, Liza. So give us your insight here as a doctor. Yeah, it is really interesting because it, 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 there is a dilemma around uh, what to do with extremely premature babies, especially because premature babies often uh, don't have adequate lung or brain development and wind up with a significant, the ones that survive, wind up with a significant number of um, disabilities. Um, and so the thought is that with around this 
discussion is whether or not this will improve their outcomes if they're born extremely prematurely. Now, I I think that this, um, just reading about it, is uh, this this technique for helping premature babies survive is not ready for prime time. It's it maybe a little premature itself. Um, I think that there are it, the 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 it's fraught when you're talking about trying to deliver babies by C-section in order to prevent their, uh, the uh, vessels in their umbilical cords from closing up so you can actually attach them to essentially a bypass machine where they can get adequate oxygenation and things like that in, in their blood. Um, so, so these babies would have to be delivered by C-section for, there, there were two models that they, that they talked about, um, the CHOP model from, from Philadelphia, and there was one at, at somewhere, somewhere in Michigan, the other model that they were proposing. But either way, um, you, the, the blood has to get circulated through a machine um, to help them adequately uh, get oxygenation and, and mimic the fetal circulation. Um, and I think that uh, that is probably not developed enough to be able to do that adequately. So I, when we talk about putting people on bypass, um, one of the risks that they have are head bleeds. Um, and premature babies are very much at risk of that as well. So they're at risk of, you know, ocular disease. They can often, if they require high levels of oxygen, they can wind up with blindness. Um, they uh, have head bleeds. They have uh, trouble with um, getting, not getting enough blood supply to their gut and they wind up having gut problems. Um, they get cerebral palsy and a whole variety of different uh, poor outcomes. And, and the earlier they're born, the more likely those poor prognostic indicators occur. So um, I think that this is being designed to try to address that. Um, it's interesting that it's been around since 2017, and we're not hearing much hype about it outside of this article. Um, and I'm also interested in the fact that a lot of the primary researchers were not interested in talking about their data um, with the authors of this article. So um, while I think that the idea is interesting, I think that there are a lot of technical issues that are going to be very hard to get around. And if you're throwing lots of money at this, as opposed to preventing preterm labor, labor in the first place, because the best place to grow a baby is actually in the mother's womb, right? <laughs> so if you, you don't can, say <laughs> you can make that the optimal environment rather than a plastic bag, I think that that might be a little bit better. Yeah, your, your comments echo uh, this gentleman, Dr. Michael Harrison, who uh, I'm not familiar with him, but apparently he's the the father of fetal surgery, which is a pretty cool title. You know, I'm sure he's done some some pretty awesome things in this life to help some young children. But he made a similar point, which is that this is far from ready. And instead of dumping millions of dollars into this and all sorts of scientific resources, which is, we know it's going to cost, it just does to get a new new drug or new device on the market. It's just going to take a bunch of money and time. He said, let's work on improving preterm critical care and let's work on pregnancy uh, assistance or what I forget the phrase he used, but um, pregnancy support, right? So I, I, presumably that's making sure women are getting adequate nutrition and they know how to care for themselves and 
you know, take and the if they have vitamins. conditions, see if they can make sure they're getting mm -hmm. their prenatal care and all of that stuff. If they have conditions that predispose them, so there's something called cervical incompetence, where babies basically are born because you can't keep the cervix closed. There are all sorts of things that you can do if you can catch things early to prevent mm -hmm. um, these things. Uh, and so, if you can focus on preventing preterm labor, that's probably better than doing a C-section, a delivery, getting needles into very, very small, it's much smaller than a lamb, small uh, vessels yeah. and and making sure perfusion's happening and things like that. I think it's one thing to, the experiment's interesting when you're talking about lambs, but it's much more fraught when you're talking about little babies. Yeah, I'm trying to find the exact phrasing in the article, but it's something to the effect of you have you have maybe minutes, you know, yes. once 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 you deliver the baby, it's it's like minutes or or they're gonna die. And you, know, and so you can like, can you can cannulate those 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 vessels when you're when with a term baby, but they they do start closing, but you can cannulate them, but if you don't cannulate them quickly, they close off. Now with a premature baby, they get much smaller. And so it makes it much more difficult uh, to, to get in there. Um, so it's, it's just a, you know, it's a, it's, it's an, an interesting thought. I just think uh, there are probably better ways of doing this. Yeah, I will we'll have to see how it develops because I've I've noticed this trend, you know, when I started first writing about this stuff, I, I would always say to myself, This is so cool, this is revolutionary, look at all this cool stuff, you know, and then you see eight or ten or a hundred press releases all pushing that same narrative about all yep. these different technologies and they're like you know, we, t we turned pineapples bright green and they can fly. And all we need now is a hundred million dollars for, for field trials. And you're like, yeah, okay. I'm, sh I'm sure that's right around the corner. And I'm kind of getting this vibe here, you know, I mean, it is, it is cool. There's a, there's a gif included in the nature article and it's, it's, you can see this lamb in this bag and yeah. it's moving around and it, it, oh, it's yeah, sleeping. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's brave new world looking stuff, but I mean, it is a thing. It's really happening. It's just, you know, Yes, I'm just I'm not sure that it's ready for prime time, and I'm not sure how how it's going to if if it's going to actually make the species jump. Let's just say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, stay tuned. We'll see what happens with the bio bag. There's lots of uh, lots more stuff to get into at some other some other point. But um, let's move on here. Let's talk about this next story. This is from a colleague of mine named uh, Dr. Barbara Billauer at ACSH. We've discussed her work before. She's a uh, She's a lawyer and a legal scholar, and she writes about bioethics. I'm not allowed to call her a bioethicist. Apparently, that's a that's a big no no. <laughs> but 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 she writes about all of these really interesting topics. And here's another one. So she writes this piece. It's called uh, "Ketamine for Mental Health Is Being Abused." We need more regulatory oversight. So, as we've talked about on the show, there's a growing demand and um, uh, support for the use of psychedelics for different mental health conditions. I, th I think most notably depression. Correct me if I'm wrong, Eliza. But yep. There's growing demand for this, and the complaint usually is, you know, these aren't these drugs aren't available. We need more funding, as always. You know, we need more access. Blah 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 blah. Mental health, this and that. Um, but uh, Barbara points out, ketamine actually is available. It's, there's two different kinds of it. Uh, one's called, I mean, it's a racemic mixture, which is mm -hmm. a pretty pretty sexy medical word. Um, <laughs> so, and you can explain what this means, but. But this version of the drug contains, uh, contains RNS molecules. So these are mere images of each other, and this is used as an anesthetic. 
Yes. And then the second one is called S-ketamine. Mm-hmm. And this is all, this only has the S, the S form molecule. And this mm-hmm. is supposed to be used to treat like, like really severe major depression. Like if it's not responding to SSRIs or, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever, I think this is yes. when you would get involved, get an intervention like this going. Um, so it has legitimate uses, but, but, but Dr. Bill Auer's concern seems to be that the drug has made its way into the wellness industry. So it's FDA approved. So if you can get a clinician to prescribe it off label, it doesn't matter. So you get these, seems like you get rich yuppies who are bored and they go to a wellness clinic and they get a vitamin injection, you know, yes, so they can, exactly. go, they, they can go see God or whatever. Um, <laughs> and again, it has, it has real uses. So I'm not putting those down, but it just sounds like it's a situation where there's abuse going on and there's potential for more abuse and the FDA doesn't have the resources or doesn't have the time or whatever. And they're just not, not, not getting involved here. So what do you think? So I think ketamine is one of the most interesting drugs that I know about. Um, it's got a long story um, that's fascinating. Uh, it started out at, in the uh, late 60s, early 70s being used as an anesthetic and it replaced another general anesthetic that is now just a completely illegal drug called uh, Fenciclidine, PCP, angel dust, the stuff that you hear, you know, you always hear these urban legends about kids at Halloween, since we're approaching Halloween, having yeah. angel dust put in their uh, candy and then having these bad outcomes, right? I don't know if you've ever heard these stories, but they were frequent in the 80s, check, check okay. the kids' candy for angel dust. So <laughs> angel dust was used as a general anesthetic in the 50s. And the problem with it was that people wound up having these, what we call emergence phenomenon, where they would, it's great anesthetic, people can't feel anything. And so because they can't feel anything and they have this emergence phenomenon where they wildly hallucinate um, and jump off of the stretcher and they can't feel pain and they (laughs) pop their stitches and their guts fall on the floor after an operation. (laughs) The the doctors who were using PCP kind of thought that this might not be the ideal general anesthetic. And so you'll hear these people talking about, you know, lifting up cars and doing heroic things like having unimaginable strength after having PCP. And that's just because they're pain threshold so low. So the, the good thing about it was that you didn't tend to get respiratory depression. Um, and so ketamine was developed and is much less, it has much less of an emergence phenomenon than PCP does. And it was proved, it approved for uh, gen- general use and, um, and veterinary use. Now, ketamine has had been abused um, for a very long time. Um, people take veterinary ketamine and have been using it, abusing it so they can hallucinate and get high um, for a very long time. Um, and it's, it gets diverted out of veterinary clinics and things like that, where it becomes very useful. And I've, in my practice, when I was uh, practicing medicine, would use it as a set of, as a, for sedation for painful procedures for patients. Um, so it's very good for doing quick procedures on patients when you didn't want to give them respiratory depression. You don't want to have to intubate them so they can breathe and things like that. So not only does it have great pain relief, but it's, 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 
often safer to use, especially so I used it in um, Haiti on children when we didn't have any, um, you know, respiratory monitors or things like that um, to be able to reduce painful fractures after the earthquake, reduce painful fractures. And, and um, so it, it's a really good thing to sedate people with without, without complications. Um, the problem is that they can have these funny emergence phenomena and most, most of them are um, uh, so just so just so I'm clear, so that happened with PCP and it happens with ketamine too. It happens with ketamine, but not. It's a much more okay. mild version. So with PCP, okay. um, you'll find people doing all sorts of things that are out of control, right? Um, <laughs> my, I, I had a PCP patient come in from a car accident where he jumped out of the car, stripped off all of his clothes, and started having an intimate relations with the gas tank in front of a police officer. <laughs> so that's, that's PCP. Ketamine on the other hand is nothing like that. <laughs> so ketamine, they'll just sort of sit in bed, like patients will sit in bed and kind of feel kind of say hilarious things. So they'll start flirting with the doctor in front of their, their wives and just say ridiculous things. My favorite ketamine um, video you should look up is from years ago and it's called David after dentist and this kid this kid's father it was and it was a it went viral this kid's father videotaped him after the dentist so you all have to go look at it because he is he's hilarious so they do silly things and say silly things and things like that and and so it's a, it's a very safe drug it's a very good drug for for painful procedures. Now, where it gets really interesting is that in refractory depression, it appears to have a very quick onset and help people early. Um, and it, this is why more and more people, and it's not, it's, it's different than psilocybin and the tryptamine drugs that people are talking about um, using, uh, you know, people are talking about using psychedelics like LSD and, and psilocybin magic mushrooms to treat refractory depression because they have serotonergic effects. Serotonin, lots of serotonin in the brain helps you get less depressed. Ketamine works a completely different way. I would not call it a psychedelic. And in an anecdotal it, it, uh, story, uh, another patient story, I had a young woman who came in um, having a miscarriage and she was just devastated, right? She was weeping, um, it just really, really upset because um, there she had, had really wanted this baby. And I can't remember if they'd undergone fertility treatments or something like that, but this it was really, really terrible. And so she's in the middle of the miscarriage. We sedated her to, to be able to help her complete the miscarriage. And we sedated her with ketamine. And her mood just switched dramatically and she was much better um, emotionally after the fact and it struck me because she, she, I, she had a really uh, profound depression over losing the baby and then bam much better mood and so doctors who were using ketamine to sedate patients in, in situations like that started noticing that pattern and that's how people started getting interested in whether or not it would be useful in depression. Um, and so 
I think it's got some promise. I think that, you know, they, 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 it, it's the, the discussion in the, in the article that we wrote or that we were reading just talked about how it was non-inferior to other antidepressants. Um, the, the, the issue with other antidepressants is that um, like SSRIs, which I think are good, good, good med medications and help depression, but they often take two weeks to sometimes even three months to really kick in. And if you've got a patient who's suicidal, um, that's a pretty long time for it to start working. And if this can be a bridge to get that, the, you know, refractory depression over, over that, I think that that's a worthwhile thing to think about because suicide is like the second leading cause of death between um, people in people, young people between the ages of uh, I think 10 and mid thirties. Um, it's so it's not, uh, it's not, I mean, it, it's something that people need to especially think about now uh, because I think there's so many mental health issues, um, especially in the setting of COVID um, and, and things like that, that I think, uh, th that are not adequately addressed. And I think that this can be, um, th there are good reasons to use it um, therapeutically. Now, getting further into the discussion of the wellness industry, I think the wellness industry should not be prescribing this off-label. There are side effects. There are, if, if somebody has a psychotic, um, meaning schizophrenic or bipolar disorder, um, that is that is undiagnosed um, or is um, underlying that. That's a major contraindication for using it. Um, you can you can really get people off on the wrong track. So I, this is not something I would I think needs should be prescribed willy nilly. One the other the other complication, a life threatening complication with it is laryngospasm, so that you can close your vocal cords and not, and not be able to breathe at all. And you need to be able to have equipment to get around that problem. Um, and so having, and it's, it's a rare side effect, but you certainly don't want to be administering that to people um, and then have that complication and then have them die in your wellness clinic. Um, so there's a reason why it's regulated. Um, I think that these wellness clinics are, are, are selling a lot of stuff that is, it could make a lot of money, but, um, it's got a long history of abuse, legitimate use, and now if it now going off label, I think that that it needs to be they need to pay attention to that because there are complications and contraindications. The reactions are so strange. Maybe it's just because it's not as well known as opioids, but you know, you think back to the late '90s and the mid 2000s when people would just go to pain clinics, particularly in the South. And be like, oh, my elbows are killing me, right? And then, you know, 200 bucks later, you had a, you had some Vicodin or whatever. Um, and that, I mean, that got clamped down on to the point of absurdity where there's people that can't get the drugs that they need. But with this now, apparently the FDA is like, I don't know if they've said anything about it, but it seems to me that this is the kind of, the kind of situation that gives drug legalization a bad name. And yes. I've heard uh, a psych, like a psychiatrist, Dr. Sally Sattel, I've heard her say that. She's like, you know, people say, and she's not like a drug warrior or anything, but she says, you know, people say drug legalization will, will be fine. And she said, well, that's what the, that's what the illegal, the diversion of opioids was. That was drug legalization. And that didn't work very well. It didn't so, work very well. And I also yeah. worry that, you know, we're sort of normalizing drug use, right, left and center, all this. I mean, if, if, if opioids 
there was definitely a problem. I think that it, there's a, the, the reaction to that problem has been to overreact. And now really real patients can't get it. And I think that a lot of pain clinics are very reluctant to prescribe opioids. But here we are now talking about, you know, we, we've already de- did this with opioids. Now we're talking about, you know, legalizing marijuana. Um, and there are all sorts of complications of that, that we have not paid close attention to um, that it, so legalizing marijuana, legalizing, you know, psychedelics. Um, I, I don't know that everybody should be running around hallucinating, you know, <laughs> on magic mushrooms. I think you can get, you can get there, you can get into trouble that way. You can get serotonin syndrome, um, which is life threatening if you're already on an SSRI and you, you know, do a couple of uh, other drugs on top of it. So anything that promotes serotonin, so cocaine can make it worse. Um, methamphetamine can make it worse. Um, your SSRIs, if you do that, and LSD, and, and you know several other drugs, you stack them. You can you can have serotonin syndrome. So there are complications of these things, um, and I think that there's room for uh, plenty of room for abuse um, as well. So you know we were in one direction, and now we're now we're sort of going the opposite direction with psychedelics and um, and. Uh, amphetamines and, um, you know, the ecstasy, um, and, uh, uh, marijuana. So it's kind of, it's right. kind of, it's kind of schizophrenic what, <laughs> what we're doing. Sure. Don't use these. And use yeah, these. I, I found that, I found that I, I still find it all strange, but I, I remember I had a family member who had a really bad, um, uh, arm injury or hand injury, like, like, bones sticking out like nasty, you know, like need to go get surgery right away. And the doctor reasonably prescribed, uh, prescribed him some painkillers and said, just, you know, take these according to the label until the pain reaches a manageable level and then go on with your life. And everybody around this person just totally freaked out. They're like, you know, you have, you had problems with alcohol back in the day and, you know, you shouldn't do this. So why don't you smoke this pot instead? And I'm like, I'm like, look, the person that fixed his arm went to medical school and is allowed to prescribe drugs for a reason. You're just a bunch of idiots that hang out on the internet and you, you know, you find marijuana advocacy sites and no, no, I'm not knocking marijuana. If if you enjoy it safely, knock yourself out. God bless. But, but it's like, there's just this weird inversion where we're so, as you said, schizophrenic on drugs. There's no consistency. There's no common sense. There's no nuance. It's just like, you can't have these ones because they'll kill you. But you can't have ketamine if you're rich enough and you go if to the you're right rich clinic. Enough and you can go to the right clinic. Yeah, yeah that's exactly or, right. Yeah, or you can buy Cheech and Chong weed weed gummy bears on Twitter. It's up to you. you know? <laughs> or and then what they're finding, I think, at a lot of these marijuana clinics is that uh, the the people are it's cheaper to get the stuff off the street. <laughs> and so now that it's legal, they're getting all the stuff off the street, and the the, the clinics are that these dispensaries are taxed. So um, nobody wants to buy at the dispensaries. And yeah. then, then you get bad marijuana and it gets, you know, adulterated with all sorts of stuff. But anyway, that, that's marijuana. I think the same thing could happen with ketamine. I think you can wind up not knowing what you're getting at these clinics. Yeah. So, I, well, the final thing that, that occurs to me is that you, you do have to have physicians involved in this, right? So you, there has to be someone who can prescribe the drug and get access to it. So I, I, it's, it seems like it's one of those situations where this person's going to ruin the pool party for everyone. <laughs> you know, yes, like exactly. it's just a doctor who's got no scruples. They're like, oh, whatever, yes. you know, 
Exactly. Okay. That's exactly right. That's exactly what the problem is. That's exactly what the problem is. All right. Terrific. Okay. Well, don't take ketamine if you don't need it. I guess yes. that's the moral. That's just a good way to live your life, right? If you don't need a drug, don't take it. Don't take it. That's exactly right. And if you need it, take it. It's- and if you want to see really, really funny <laughs> video, watch David after dentist. <laughs> <laughs> I saw one. I'll have to show it to you, but it's a guy... I, it sounds like he was on ketamine, but he's in the hospital and he's reenacting a scene from the movie Shrek with the, <laughs> with a patient he's sharing the room with. Mm-hmm. I have to send it to you because oh it's like the, it's hilarious. the Muffet Man. Like it just <laughs> <laughs> okay. Enough. I'm done. I'm done. Okay, let's talk about pesticides. Our favorite topic. So this is a, a story from uh, Wageningen. I think I pronounced that right. University in Europe story is called why a glyphosate ban would lead to uh, the use of ineffective and more toxic alternatives. So uh, Liza, this is right up your alley, but in essence they did some, like some sort of a review for um, the Dutch government. I want to say, cause they're trying to find out, you know what, like if we ban this, what happens, what are the trade-offs, which is actually kind of smart. If you're a politician or you're a regulator and you're not sure you go to experts and say, like do, do the, do the counterfactual for us. So I, I can, uh, I can commend that. That makes sense. But uh, the the totally unshocking conclusion they reached is that if you ban glyphosate, as everyone in this field knows, you're going to go to more toxic alternatives. They're going to have to be used more intensively. um, And the environment's going to suffer. And you're not going to benefit public health in any way. So that's the long and the short of it. There's lots to to get in here. Um, But I don't know. Do you care about the environment? Then don't do this. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. So I, you know, the, the trouble is that glyphosate. Glyphosate is there's nothing like it. it it's just a. It's a, essentially a once in a century uh, herbicide because given its high quality, um, it's high efficacy in terms of controlling weeds and its its low toxicity profile. And it, it's been studied multiple times by multiple different agencies and. It, the uh, assessment of a glyphosate group, which was headed up by four nations, um, just looked at all the data on it, and it is not a carcinogen. And, um, they wrote an 11,000-page paper on it. <laughs> so so it, it, it's just reams and reams and reams of information about this. It's not a carcinogen, which is what people are afraid of, and which is why people are wanting to call for bans. And there's just no scientific data that supports that claim. Um, but regulators um, and and politicians are, are very cautious about it, given all of the negative publicity it's gotten. And so if you get rid of glyphosate, which is a very easy-to-use herbicide, um, you have to resort to things like uh tillage for farming, right, which is turns over the topsoil, releases lots of carbon dioxide, you lose organic matter that way, you lose water that way. Um, And if you remember the dust bowls of the 30s, that was kind of the, you know, the the problem is that the soil can blow off and erode, it causes all sorts of problems. So if you can do no-till farming, um, which you can do with if you use herbicides, not just glyphosate, but herbicides in general, um, you can increase your soil organic matter, you can increase the water absorption of the soil, you can increase um, just soil health and and growth. Um, So it's, it's, uh, it's, you Using other herbicides, um, if you use them according to label again, are that's all regulated. So you're not going to have off-target effects um, if you use them the right way. So the, the, all the herb, all, all the 
pesticides in general are regulated. So um, saying that one's more toxic than the other, um, if you're if you're using it, uh, you know, according to label, you have to sort of think about it um, from the perspective that they're regulated not to have off-target environmental effects and regulated not to have human health effects. So um, I think that that's an important takeaway that most people aren't aware of. But it, it's, it's incredibly important. It's off-patent. It's cheap. Um, it's easy to use. Um, it really is important for global agriculture. Uh, and um, I, I think that there's a lot of mythology around it that it needs to be dispelled because it's critical for food security. Yeah, maybe the like the Organic Consumers Association needs to start selling some version of glyphosate, and then yeah. <laughs> this this will all go away. Like it's off patent, so just you know hire hire a chemist and, <laughs> and make you know, it, you can yeah. make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put like a sun, put a sun on the label, and like really, really plump fruit, and it looks clean and all natural. And there you go, right? You can use glyphosate too. Um, Another thing that I think gets overlooked in this conversation is uh, the benefit to farmers. So I'm looking, this is a study from uh, just last year, and um, they, they just looked at what, what, what economic benefit do farmers get from glyphosate paired with uh, GM crops. And it depends on the crop that they're growing, but, but they're looking at from uh, 1996 to 2020, uh, an increase in farm income uh, of $260 plus billion dollars. Which is incredible, right? Yeah. So, first I, like, of all, think you, of that in re, in relation to your bank account. <laughs> in, just, in relation to your bank account, but think of that in terms of if you're a subsistence farmer, right? Right, and you it and it, you it decreased your labor costs, it decreases your labor injuries, right? So, I mean, if you think about um one of the big human rights campaigns in California, and it was with Cesar Chavez, who was talking about using the short-handled hoe and the, the, the occupational injuries it caused to farmers um, and, and migrant workers who were working in vegetable fields that at, at bending over and things like that. Herbicides actually prevent that from happening. And it's, it's really important to think of it from a labor perspective. Um, you decrease the amount of labor that you need. So you're not only having the benef benefits when you're talking about um, not no-till farming, but in terms of labor, you decrease your labor costs a lot. Um, and so it's really, really important to think of from a uh, economic point of view and a public health point of view in that you're not getting the injuries um, that you're having. And in terms of food security, if we in the states don't have enough labor to help weed just in general, right? Or help on in agriculture just in general. There's a, there's a labor shortage. And so if you get rid of glyphosate, you require more labor. Um, and if you can't get that labor, you have food security issues, right? So imagine hand weeding a cornfield in Iowa. That's not, that's not going to happen very well. You know, take it back to the subsistence farmer level. Imagine hand weeding um, in, in, where in, in Southeast Asia and Africa, where a, a huge percent of the population is involved in, in subsistence farming. Imagine hand weeding the jungle or the savanna, and you've got snakes there. And snake bite was declared by the World Health Organization as one of the leading neglected um, uh, causes of morbidity and mortality uh, in the developing world 
2017, and it largely affects agricultural workers. So, you know, you've got to think about the knock-on effects of not using modern techniques for agriculture, and herbicides are a cornerstone for that. Yeah, it's connected to so many issues that everybody is concerned about. So you already mentioned the environmental ones, but if you think about the cost of food, especially with inflation the way it is here and around the world, you know, if you make more food and you reduce the cost to farmers, that's passed on as lower food prices. So think of that's right. poor people, right? You know, maybe and maybe you're maybe you're someone who struggles. I think everyone does at certain parts in their lives. This means cheaper food prices for you. And it means for people in poor countries, it means they get to send their kids to school. So their kids don't have to destroy their backs weeding like you're talking about. They don't get bitten by snakes, which just sucks, by the way. I'm really glad you bring that up all the time Yeah, because I've never been bitten by a snake. I'm sure it really sucks. And if it's (laughs) like a cobra, you know, like it's somewhere, you know, and it's like some nasty snake like that bites you. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to die. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Unless you know, it's a dry bite, but a lot of them aren't dry bites. So yes, it's 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 um it's problematic. It's problematic, and I think that you know the the, the fact that glyphosate does not cause cancer or does and, and does not you know uh, it, it's so so extensively studied. The fact that this misinformation um, has been so wildly um, exaggerated and has has put it on the docket in terms of trying to get uh, activists, in terms of activists working against it and in the public being afraid of it is, is really sets back farming, really sets back farming. Yeah. And the the other thing is that there is no real alternative. I mean, there's other herbicides and those are used like even like glyphosate is tank mix with other stuff. It's not just the, the single thing, but they talk about in this article about, you know, well, we've got these infrared cameras and we've got these cool sensors and we've got these AI powered robots and whatever. And they're going to like, you know, perfectly identify the right weeds and how much herbicide. And then there's lasers and it's like, but not again, just like the bio bag, right? None of this stuff is ready for prime time. And so how are you going to afford that if you're a subsistence farmer? Right. right. So, you know, it's just, <laughs> you can, you can use this really cheap herbicide that's, not going to hurt you, or you can uh, <laughs> try to get your hands on all of these other high tech things that are not available. Yeah, and I just can't wait. You know, we're going to get the, like the anti weeding robots. You know, they're going to be <laughs> like, right? Like the robots are taking over, man. See, so you can't have the robots either. They don't cause cancer, but they'll take your. You know, I don't know. I'm That'll done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. It's been a long week. I'm just turning into a crazy old man. Uh, okay, that's going to do it for us. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We'll be back next week for 240. Nice round number there. How very exciting. In the meantime, follow us on social media. It's at Dr. Liza MD, at Cam J English, and the Genetic Literacy Project is at Genetic Literacy because they uh, give us this platform and they publish all the content, so give them a follow as well. Thank you so much. See you next time. See you next time. Have a good week. <laughs>